Part 1 of Part 3rd of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Erich V. Trilby by Georges Dumouriez. Part 3rd. Part 1. Par-delà, ne de la la mer. Ni dame ni demoiselle, qui soit l'en tout bien parfaite elle. C'est un songe que dit penser, Dieu, qu'il fait bon la regarder. One lovely morning in late September, at about eleven or so, Taffy and the laird sat in the studio, each opposite his picture, smoking, nursing his knee, and saying nothing. The heaviness of Monday weighed on their spirits more than usual, for the three friends had returned late on the previous night from a week spent at Barbizon, and in the forests of Fontainebleau, a heavenly week amongst the painters. Rousseau, Millet, Corbeau, Daubigny, let us suppose, and others less known to fame to this day. Little Billy, especially, had been fascinated by all this artistic life in blouses and sabbats and immense straw hats and panamas, and had sworn to himself and to his friends that he would some day live and be there, painting the forest as it is, and peopling it with beautiful people out of his own fancy, leading a healthy outdoor life of simple wants and lofty aspirations. At length, Taffy said, Bother work this morning. I feel much more like a stroll in the Luxembourg gardens, and lunch at the Café de l'Odeon, where the omelettes are good and the wine isn't blue. The very thing I was thinking of myself, said the lad. So Taffy slipped on his old shooting jacket and his old Harrow cricket cap with a peak turned the wrong way, and the lad put on an old great coat of Taffy's that reached up to his heels and a battered straw hat that they had found in the studio when they took it, and both sallied forth into the mellow sunshine on the way to Carol's, for they meant to seduce little Billy from his work that he might share their laziness, greediness, and general demoralization. And whom should they meet coming down the narrow, turreted Rue Vieille des Trois Mauvais Ladres but little Billy himself, with an air of general demoralization so tragic they were quite alarmed. He had his paint-box and field-easel in one hand and his little valise in the other. He was pale, his hat on the back of his head, his hair starting at all sixes and sevens like a six Scotch terriers. "'Good Lord, what's the matter?' said Taffy. Oh, la la, she's sitting at Carol's. Who's sitting at Carol's? Trilby, sitting to all those ruffians. There she was, just as I opened the door. I saw her, I tell you. The sight of her was like a blow between the eyes, and I bolted. I shall never go back to that beastly hole again. I'm off to Barbizon to paint the forest. I was coming round to tell you. Goodbye. Stop a minute, are you mad? said Taffy, collaring him. Let me go, Taffy, let me go, damn it. I'll come back in a week, but I'm going now. Let me go, do you hear? But look here, I'll go with you. No, I want to be alone, quite alone. Let me go, I tell you. I, I shan't let you go unless you swear to me, on your honour, that you'll write directly you get there, and every day you get back. Swear. All right, I swear, honour bright. Now there. Goodbye, goodbye. Back on Sunday, goodbye. And he was off. Now what the devil does that mean? asked Taffy, much perturbed. 
I suppose he's shocked at saying Trilby in that geyser, this geyser, and guys sitting at Carol's. He's such an odd little chap, and I must say I'm surprised at Trilby. It's a bad thing for her when we're away. What could have induced her? She's never sat in a studio of that kind before. I thought she only sat to Durian and old Carol. They walked for a while in silence. Do you know, I've got a horrid idea the little fool's in love with her. I've long had a horrid idea that she's in love with him. That would be a very stupid business, said Taffy. They walked on, brooding over those two horrid ideas, and the more they brooded, considered and remembered, the more convinced they became that both were right. Here's a pretty kettle of fish, said the laird, and talking of fish, let's go and lunch. And so demoralised were they that Taffy ate three omelettes without thinking, and the laird drank two half-bottles of wine, and Taffy three, and they walked about the whole of that afternoon for fear Trilby should come to the studio, and were very unhappy. This is how Trilby came to sit at Carol's studio. Carol had suddenly taken it into his head that he would spend a week there and paint a figure among his pupils that they might see and paint with and, if possible, like him. And he had asked Trilby as a great favour to be the model, and Trilby was so devoted to the great Carol that she readily consented. So that Monday morning found her there, and Carol posed her as Ingress's famous figure in his picture called La Source, holding an earthenware pitcher on her shoulder, and the work began in religious silence. Then in five minutes or so little Billy came bursting in, and as soon as he caught sight of her he stopped and stood as one petrified, his shoulders up, his eyes staring. Then, lifting his arms, he turned and fled. Qu'est-ce qu'il a donc, ce little Billy? exclaimed one or two students, for they had turned his nickname into French. Perhaps he's forgotten something, said another. Perhaps he's forgotten to brush his teeth and part his hair. Perhaps he has forgotten to say his prayers, said Parizel. He'll come back, I hope, exclaimed the master. And the incident gave rise to no further comment. But Trilby was much disquieted and fell to wondering what on earth was the matter. At first she wondered in French, French of the Quartier Latin. She had not seen little Billy for a week and wondered if he were ill. She had looked forward so much to his painting her, painting her beautifully, and hoped he would soon come back and lose no time. And then she began to wonder in English, nice clean English of the studio in the Place de Saint-Anatole des Arts, her father's English, and suddenly a quick thought pierced her through and through and made the flesh tingle on her insteps and the backs of her hands and bathed her brow and temples with sweat. She had good eyes, and little Billy had a singularly expressive face. Could it possibly be that he was shocked at seeing her sitting there? She knew that he was peculiar in many ways. She remembered that neither he nor Taffy nor the laird had ever asked her to sit for the figure, though she would have been only too delighted to do so for them. She also remembered how little Billy had always been silent whenever she alluded to her posing for the altogether, as she called it, and had sometimes looked pained and always very grave. She turned alternately pale and red, pale and red, all over, again and again, as the thought grew up in her, and soon the growing thought became a torment. This newborn feeling of shame was unendurable. 
its birth a travail that racked and rent every fibre of her moral being and she suffered agonies beyond anything she had ever felt in her life what is the matter with you my child are you ill asked carol who like everyone else was very fond of her and to whom she had sat as a child l'enfance de siche now in luxembourg gallery was painted from her she shook her head and the work went on presently she dropped her pitcher that broke into bits and putting two hands to her face she burst into tears and sobs and there to the amazement of everybody she stood crying like a big baby la source aux larmes what is the matter my poor dear child said carol jumping up and helping her off the throne oh i don't know i don't know i am ill very ill let me go home and with the kind solicitude and dispatch they helped her on with her clothes and carol sent for a cab and took her home and on the way she dropped her head on his shoulder and wept and told him all about it as well as she could and monsieur carol had tears in his eyes too and wished to heaven he had never induced her to sit for the figure either then or at any other time and pondering deeply and sorrowfully on such terrible responsibility he had grown-up daughters of his own he went back to the studio and in an hour's time they had got another model and another picture and went to work again so the picture went to the well once more and trilby as she lay disconsolate on her bed all that day and the next and all the next again thought of her past life with agonies of shame and remorse that made the pain in her eyes seem as a light and welcome relief for it came and tortured worse and lasted longer than it had ever done before but she soon found to her miserable bewilderment that mind aches are the worst of all then she decided she must write to one of the trois anglish and chose the laird she was more familiar with him than with the other two it was impossible not to be familiar with the laird if he liked one as he was so easy-going and demonstrative for all that he was such a canny scot then she had nursed him through his illness she had often hugged and kissed him before the whole studio full of people and even when quite alone with him it had always seemed natural for her to do so it was like a child caressing a favourite young uncle or elder brother and though the good laird was the least susceptible of mortals he would often find these innocent blandishments a somewhat trying ordeal she had never taken such a liberty with taffy and as for little billy she would sooner have died and so she wrote to the laird i give her letter without the spelling which was often faulty though her nightly readings had much improved it my dear friend i am very unhappy i was sitting at carrel's in the rue de potiron and little billy came in and was so shocked and disgusted he ran away and never came back i saw it all in his face i sat there because monsieur carol asked me to he has always been very kind to me monsieur carol ever since i was a child and i would do anything to please him but never that again he was there too i never thought anything about sitting before i sat first as a child to monsieur carol mamma made me and made me promise not to tell papa and so i didn't it soon seemed as natural to sit for people as to run errands for them or wash and mend their clothes papa wouldn't have liked my doing that either though he wanted the money badly and so he never knew i have sat for the altogether to several other people besides 
Monsieur Jérôme, Dorian, the two Enquins, and Ernil Baratier, and for heads and hands to lots of people, and for feet only to Charles Faure, André Besson, Mathieu Dumoulin, and Collinet, nobody else. It seemed as natural for me to sit as for a man. Now I see the awful difference. I have done dreadful things besides, as you must know, as all the quartier knows, Baratier and Besson, but not Durian. Though people think so, nobody else, I swear, except old Monsieur Panque at the beginning, who was Mama's friend. It makes me almost of the shame and misery to think of it. For that's not like sitting. I knew how wrong it was all along, and there is no excuse for me, none. Though lots of people do as bad, and nobody in the quartier seems to think any the worse of them. If you and Taffy and little Billy cut me, I really think I shall go mad and die. Without your friendship, I shouldn't care to live a bit. Oh, dear Sandy, I love your little finger better than any man or woman I ever met. And little Taffy's and little Billy's little fingers, too. What shall I do? I daren't go out for fear of meeting one of you. Will you come and see me? I am never going to sit again, not even for the face and hands. I am going to go back to being a blanchisseuse de fin with my old friend Angèle Bois, who is getting on very well indeed, in the rue des Cloîtres saint Petronille. You will come and see me, won't you? I shall be in all day till you do. Or else I will meet you somewhere, if you will tell me where and when. Or else I will go and see you in the studio, if you are sure to be alone. Please don't keep me waiting long for an answer. You don't know what I am suffering. Your ever-loving, faithful friend, Trilby O'Farrell. She sent this letter by hand, and the lad came in less than ten minutes after she had sent it. And she hugged and kissed and cried over him, so that he was almost ready to cry himself. But he burst out laughing instead, which was better and more in his line, and very much more comforting, and talked to her so nicely and kindly and naturally that by the time he left her humble attic in the Rue des Pousquets, her very aspect, which had quite shocked him when he first saw her, had almost become what it usually was. The little room under the leads, with its sloping roof and mansard window, was as scrupulously neat and clean as if its tenant had been a holy sister who taught the noble daughters of France at some convent of the Sacred Heart. There were nasturtiums and mignonette on the outer window sill and Convolvulus was trained to climb around the window. As she sat by his side on the narrow white bed, clasping and stroking his painty, turpentiny hand, and kissing it every five minutes, he talked to her like a father, as he told Taffy afterwards, and scolded her for having been so silly as not to send for him directly, or come to the studio. He said how glad he was, how glad they would all be, that she was going to give up sitting for the figure, not, of course, that there was any real harm in it, but it was better not, and especially how happy it would make them feel she intended to live straight for the future. Little Billy was to remain at Barbizon for a little while, but she must promise to come and dine with Taffy and himself that very day, and cook the dinner, and when he went back to his picture, Les Nostes de Thériadour, saying to her as he left, À ce soir, donc, mise sacte tonnerre de nom de Dieu, he left the happiest woman in the whole Latin quarter behind him, 
she had confessed and had been forgiven. And with shame and repentance and confession and forgiveness had come a strange new feeling, that of a dawning self-respect. Hitherto, for Trilby, self-respect had meant little more than the mere cleanliness of her body, in which she had always revelled. Alas, it was one of the conditions of her humble calling. It now meant another kind of cleanliness, and she would luxuriate in it for evermore, and the dreadful past, never to be forgotten by her, should be so lived down as in time, perhaps, to be forgotten by others. The dinner that evening was a memorable one for Trilby. After she had washed up the knives and forks and plates and dishes, she put them by, she sat and sewed. She wouldn't even smoke her cigarettes. It reminded her so of things and scenes she now hated. No more cigarettes for Trilby O'Farrell. They all talked of little Billy. She heard about the way he had been brought up, about his mother and sister, the people he had always lived among. She also heard, and her heart alternately rose and sank as she listened, what his future was likely to be, and how rare his genius was, and how great, if his friends were to be trusted. Fame and fortune would soon be his, such fame and fortune as fall to the lot of very few, unless anything should happen to spoil his promise and mar his prospects in life and ruin a splendid career, and the rising of the heart was all for him the sinking for herself. How could she ever hope to be even the friend of such a man? Might she ever hope to be his servant, his faithful, humble servant? Little Billy spent a month at Barbazon, and when he came back, it was with such a brown face that his friends hardly knew him, and he brought with him such studies as made his friends sit up. The crushing sense of their own hopeless inferiority was lost in wonder at his work, in love and enthusiasm for the workman. There little Billy, so young and tender, so weak of body, so strong of purpose, so warm of heart, so light of hand, so keen and quick and piercing of brain and eye, was their master, to be stuck on a pedestal and looked up to and bowed down to, to be watched and warded and worshipped for evermore. When Trilby came in from her work at six, and he shook hands with her and said, Hello, Trilby. Her face turned pale to the lips. Her underlip quivered, and she gazed down at him, for she was among the tallest of her sex, with such a moist, hungry, wide-eyed look of humble, craving adoration that the lad felt his worst fears were realized, and the look little Billy sent up in return filled the manly bosom of Taffy with an equal apprehension. Then they all four went and dined together at Le Pertrain, and Trilby went back to her Blanchisserie de Fin. Next day, little Billy took his work to show Carol, and Carol invited him to come and finish his picture. The picture goes to the well, at his own private studio, an unheard-of favour, which the boy accepted with a thrill of proud gratitude and affectionate reverence. So little was seen for some time of little Billy at the studio at the Place de Saint-Denatole des Arts, and little of Trilby. A blanchisseuse de fin has not many minutes to spare from her irons. But they often met at dinner, and on Sunday mornings Trilby came to repair the laird's linen and darn his socks, and looked after his little comforts as usual, and spend a happy day. 
and on Sunday afternoons the studio would be as lively as ever with the fencing and the boxing, the piano playing and fiddling, all as it used to be. And week by week the friends noticed a gradual and subtle change in Trilby. She was no longer slangy in French, unless it were now and then by a slip of the tongue, no longer so facetious and droll, and yet she seemed even happier than she had ever seemed before. Also she grew thinner, especially in the face, where the bones of her cheeks and jaws began to show themselves, and these bones were constructed on such right principles as were those of her brow and chin and the bridge of her nose, that the improvement was astonishing, almost inexplicable. Also, she lost her freckles as the summer waned, and she herself went less into the open air, and she let her hair grow, and made of it a small knot at the back of her head, and showed her little flat ears, which were very charming, and just in the right place, very far back and rather high, little Billy could not have placed them better himself. Also, her mouth, always too large, took on a firmer and sweeter outline, and her big British teeth were so white and regular that even the Frenchmen forgave them their British bigness. And a new soft brightness came into her eyes that no one had ever seen there before. They were stars, just twin grey stars, or rather planets just thrown off by some new sun, for the steady mellow light they gave out was not entirely their own. Favourite types of beauty chained with each succeeding generation. These were the days of Buckner's aristocratic album beauties with lofty foreheads, oval faces, little aquiline noses, heart-shaped little mouths, soft dimpled chins, drooping shoulders, and long side ringlets that fell over them. The Lady Arabellas and the Lady Clementinas, Musidoras and Medoras, a type that will perhaps come back to us some day, may the present scribe be dead. Trilby's type would be indefinitely more admired now than in the fifties. Her photograph would be in the shop windows. Sir Edward Burne-Jones, if I may make so bold as to say so, would perhaps have marked her for his own, in spite of her almost too exuberant joyousness and irrepressible vitality. Rossetti might have evolved another new formula from her. Sir John Millet, another old one of the kind that is always new and never sates nor palls, like Clyde, let us say ever old and ever new as love itself. Trilby's type was in singular contrast to the type Gavarni had made so popular in the Latin quarter at the period we are writing of, so that those who fell so readily under her charm were rather apt to wonder why. Moreover, she was thought much too tall for her sex, and in her day, and in her station in life, and especially for the country she lived in, she hardly looked up to a bold gendarme, and a bold gendarme was nearly as tall as a dragon de la garde, who was nearly as tall as an average English policeman. Not that she was a giantess by any means, she was about as tall as Miss Ellen Terry, and that is a charming height, I think. End of Part 1, Part 3rd Recording by Erich V. Johannesburg, South Africa